we going to get this thing started? Are we going to do this? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to do it. You know why we're going to do it? Because this, 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 this won't hurt a bit. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's that time of the month again. That's right. It's time for This Won't Hurt a Bit. And I'm with Jess Mason. Hello. Dave Mason. That's me. My name's Mel Herbert. Jess is a physician. I'm a physician. Dave not is not a physician. And Dave, I want to start this out by telling you a little bit of a story, okay? Okay. Jess Wait. has a story. What are we talking about? Well, you're going to get it from the story. Okay. You're going to find out, okay? Let's do it. All right. So this story takes place in the 1960s. Okay. It's San Francisco. And oh, good times. <laughs> yeah. Free love. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And especially for an ophthalmologist named Dr. Alan Scott. So Dr. Scott, he is studying something called strabismus. So strabismus, that's when um, your eyes don't line up totally normally. So you, some people would call that like a lazy eye. Like, oh, right. Okay. Uh, what's the one that we're like can't? That's nystagmus when, nystagmus. when you have an okay. eye that's sort of like kind of wiggling yeah, from yeah, side yeah. to side. Okay. That's nystagmus. This okay. is strabismus, and strabismus is a misalignment of the eyes or cross eyes. Okay. Okay, got it. All right. So at that time, the only treatment that there was for this was surgery, but Dr. Scott he has an idea. He comes up with this idea that what if you could temporarily paralyze certain eye muscles and by relaxing certain eye muscles it would bring the eyes back into alignment Mm -hmm. sounds kind of crazy right it would wear off right and then it would go back well maybe it depends on what he chooses as the method to paralyze these muscles and he comes up with the idea of taking a very very potent toxin that comes from clostridium botulinum botulism yeah, botulism. How would you feel if your doctor said, hey, we're doing a study here. Uh, basically, what I do is I take botulism and I inject it into your eye. I, I'd say test it on that guy first. <laughs> so it sounds like a crazy idea, but this is what we go with. And he's got this research fellow that he's working with, Dr. Jean Carruthers. She's also an ophthalmologist, and she is studying a problem called blepharospasm, which is this really painful and forceful blinking of the eyes it's involuntary and it's basically if you see someone that like blinks for too hard and for too long okay and it looks it looks uncomfortable Mm. and she thinks hey maybe we could use this toxin that temporarily paralyzes muscles to help treat blepharospasm this involuntary forceful blinking and so she starts doing this on her patients. Well, She's trialing you, but it. But how do you figure out how much you're going to inject into somebody? This stuff's like, how much does it take before it kills you? A tiny, tiny, tiny amount. It's been estimated that one teaspoon of botulism can kill about a billion people. So you've got Jeez. to dilute it. Yeah. And a then lot. dilute it. A lot. And then again, and then you test it no you doubt. You have to like wave your other, hand over the aroma of whiff, botulism. Just a sousson of botulism. <laughs> I mean, but everything's poison in high enough quantities, right? Sure. Yeah. Right? So this is just using the right dose. Okay. Okay. So she starts doing this treatment on her patients with blepharospasm. And one day, one of her female patients... She comes to this realization that she really likes this treatment Hmm. because it takes away those pesky wrinkles around her eyes. (laughs) And then the light bulb goes off. So Dr. Carruthers, she's married to a dermatologist. And together they they make this connection that, hmm, wrinkles. Maybe we can harness the power of botulism toxin. 
and use it for cosmetic purposes, therefore creating the first product of Botox in 1992. That's wow. when the first paper came out about using Botox for wrinkles. It all comes around. Mm-hmm. Oh, it comes back to cosmetics, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Space or cosmetics? <laughs> That's the only two things there is. <laughs> So for this episode of This One Heard a Bit, we are going to talk about botulism. Not just how it's used for cosmetic purposes, but what it does to your body and how it's created and why it's a problem and where people get it from. So Jess, there's something I don't know about uh, cosmetic injections of botulism. We're going to talk about a lot of other stuff, but can you, has anybody gotten sick from this? Like, have anybody overdosed, like we were saying before, accidentally given the wrong dose and killed somebody with this stuff? Right. I mean, that would be the fear, right? Someone who's going to go in for their first, like, injection, like, oh my God, maybe I'm going to die. And you're not. It's basically, it's pretty darn safe. But there are some case reports, it's pretty darn rare, but there are some case reports of some bad things happening. But this is usually because someone's doing something really sketchy that they shouldn't be doing. For example, there was a doctor uh, and he was practicing with a suspended license. And what he did is he ordered a whole bunch of botulinum toxin. And this toxin was meant for research purposes. It was not meant to be injected into people's faces. And he did his own dilution and he wasn't very good at math. He did it wrong. And he accidentally injected 2,000 times the right dose. Oh, that sounds like a lot. Into See, people's kids, faces. Math is important. Yeah. So uh, fortunately... No one died, uh, but a few people did get hospitalized. They got quite sick, and uh, some people actually had to be intubated and on a ventilator. But other than, like, really weird cases like this, then it's fine. Yeah, like, bad things can happen, like uh, asymmetry of the face. If you do one side a little more than the other side, you know, you constantly look inquisitive. Um, but yeah. for the most part, it's safe. But sometimes you see on the news someone's having some sort of, like, Botox party. Mm -hmm. And somebody's face is like gangrene and falling off. And it's like they went, they had this person come over and they gave injections and they had a fun time and now their face is falling off. What, so what's that from? That's from, again, the same thing. So that's usually from bogus practitioners who have picked that up on the black market or have their license suspended because a dermatologist or an ophthalmologist, somebody who's trained to use this, somebody with a medical degree, somebody who's licensed by the state, is not going to come over to your party and inject your uh, Botox. That would be considered poor form. Okay. So this is, that's sort of on the fringes. That's not medicine. That's uh bad. It's like, yeah, let's do a cocaine party and let's do a Botox at the same time. So, <laughs> so Don't get your Botox done at your friend's house. <laughs> not a party. Tell you. <laughs> so has anyone done anything else with Botox? Like a botulism? Can you, or not Botox, but just the botulism bacteria? Has anyone figured out any other use for it? Well, Botox is actually used, uh, botulism toxin is used for a lot of things. So we talked about this blepharospasm, we talked about strabismus, but there's a whole bunch of other disorders where muscles are working too much, and this fundamentally works to reduce the muscles working. So things like cerebral palsy to reduce some of the spasms. Uh, people with hand tremors, even sometimes with chronic migraines, maybe that are triggered by a lot of tension in some muscles. Overactive bladder. I mean, there's actually a lot of medical uses hmm. where Botox has been used. It's a wonder drug. You know what, though? It's it's only been around since the early 90s, and no one really knows what the long-term effects are. Or its full potential. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Okay, so 
let's discuss then what botulism is actually doing to your body in order to create these neat effects that okay. people are paying lots of money for. Okay, are you ready for some science? <laughs> yes. This is the science part. Science! All right, so uh, it's basically a neurotoxin. And it acts at something called the neuromuscular junction. So you got nerves, right? Nerves send signals to your muscles like, Hey, leg, move. Not that your leg's a muscle, but it's made up of some muscles, right? So it's like, Hey, leg, move. The nerve sends a signal, your muscle contracts, and you do the movement that your brain wanted you to do. So this communication happens where the nerve meets the muscle. And it sends this little chemical signal by a chemical called acetylcholine, right? So that little signal goes from the nerve, it hits the muscle, and then the muscle contracts. Perfect. Okay, so now I want you to picture that this junction is blocked. It blocks that neurotransmitter. It blocks acetylcholine. Acetylcholine can't even get released. It can't get released from the nerve, and therefore it never makes it to the muscle to give the signal that it should contract. And that's exactly what botulinum toxin does. So the message is going down the nerve, but once it gets to the part where it's supposed to jump over from the nerve to the muscle, it doesn't work. It and acts so, like a goalie. Yeah, and so basically it, acetylcholine cannot leave the nerve. And so the muscle is essentially paralyzed. Okay. Right? Yeah. And this is a a permanent death. This is permanent. Permanent death. But fortunately, you heal and you regrow a new neuromuscular junction. Oh. It just takes about six months to do that. So that's why it wears off eventually. People who get this this poisoning eventually can heal from it as that neuromuscular junction regenerates, you know, like a lizard tail. What are the symptoms of getting botulism naturally? Define naturally. Uh, like <laughs> I am canning food or I'm making salami and I was really careless while doing it and I, I grew a botulism bacteria and I ate the food and I start getting this par- paralysis. Paralysis. Mm-hmm. And what else? Like, is that just it? Like, I I lose, like, the ability to breathe? Yeah, so there's a lot of actually different types of ways you can get botulism into your body and have bad things. So what you're describing is sort of foodborne. So it's in the food and you ingest the food and then you can sort of have food poisoning. So you can just feel nausea and I don't feel very good. And then what happens over time is that you start to get muscle weakness and the muscle weakness, it tends to go to those muscles which have the most motor end plates that have really fine nerves making really fine movements, which tends to be in your face, your smiling, your eyes, your swallowing muscles, your upper airway sort of breathing muscles. So you start to get, you know, double vision. You can't talk properly. You can't swallow properly. That's classically how you would get it initially um, when you ingest it that way. It sounds like you're also implying there's other ways to get botulism. Yes, yeah, there are. There yeah. Other than canned foods. Yeah, so... You can get botulism by eating it, by eating the spores. And this occurs in babies. So let's talk about infant botulism. Take a little tiny baby. And classically, this was with honey, unprocessed honey. honey. Don't give your babies honey. Right. So they ingest the spores. And a spore is like a bacteria that's put a shell around itself so it can live for a long time in harsh environments so it doesn't leak water. And so once that spore gets to a place where it's nice to live and it goes, hey, there's some water around here and it's warm and it's just the right place, then that cell starts to divide and make lots of botulism bacteria. So in infant botulism, you ingest the honey and the spores go in and then they start to replicate And then when those bacteria replicate, they start pooping out the botulism toxin. Mm. It's a side effect of being infected. So this is something that they leak out of themselves. And so 
Mum brings the baby in and says, he doesn't eat properly and he's not moving and he usually is really active and he can't suckle and, and that's a floppy baby. And one of the classic causes of a floppy baby is botulism. Whoa. And actually that brings up a question like this, this honey. Why does honey hurt yeah. kids and not adults? And mm-hmm. it's because babies, you know, their stomach isn't as acidic. They don't have lots of other bacteria. And so the environment in most adults' guts is not very good for these spores to germinate. They look around and like, too much competition here. This is not a good place to live. Whereas in little babies' guts, oh, look, there's no other bacteria. Very few. I think this is a good place to set up shop. I won't have too many people to fight with. So that's why infants are much more likely to get it from honey than adults. So we've talked about this like foodborne cause, right? The classic bulging can. Yeah, yeah. That's full of preformed toxin as opposed to honey, which isn't the toxin. It's the spore. And then the spore germinates and then the bacteria form and the bacteria form the toxin. And the infant botulism is the most common. But the one that I've actually seen before is wound botulism. Okay, how do you get that? So, just from a wound? Yeah. <laughs> well, what? I mean, like, where does botulism naturally live? Well, it's Clostridium botulinum is the is the bacteria. So, anything that's uh, you know anaerobic, not a lot of oxygen in the environment, it's dirty, it's nasty. Like think about mud. Yeah, think about IV drug users and think about exposures on a dirty needle that they're injecting into their skin and basically putting whatever's on that needle into an oxygen-deprived environment like under their skin oh. so you can get in you can get the bacteria right into a wound. So the, the the bacteria would be living on the tip of that needle, you inject it underneath your skin and it starts multiplying under your skin and that's how you get the poison? Yeah, or the bacteria can be living in whatever, you know, you're drawing up in the syringe. Mm. It's, it's all over the place. Um, it's in dirt. It's all over the place. So that's why you need clean needles and you wash out wounds to get all these bad bacteria. So it's pretty wow. all over the place. Wow. I didn't know it was that prevalent. I thought it was like these really special circumstances that'll Well, get to get you. it sick from it is under the special circumstances, but the bacteria itself is actually pretty prevalent. It's everywhere. It's out yeah. to get, yeah. <laughs> A little scary. Yeah. And then the one that people kind of theoretically talk about is this inhalational toxin. What? You can breathe it in? Well, th- it's basically like, you know, people sitting around thinking, how could terrorists capture the power of botulinum toxin and kill a ton of people? If you were able to basically make a form of it that you could aerosolize, you could you could harm a yeah, lot of people that, that way. That would be really bad. A teaspoonful? Yeah. That's um, not so good. Potentially, it's a, it's a bioweapon. It's just never been done because it's really apparently hard to do. Thank God. So, as, well, at least this immediate group knows, I like to cook and I like to ferment things and I like canning. And I would like to know, because I'm always, that's the one thing on my mind, right? Like canning food, I'm going to see a bulgy lid and I'm going to end up killing my whole family. So, (laughs) so what, what, I mean, I sort of know, you know, you got to like put it in the pressure cooker or you got to water boil it. You you basically cook the food in this water bath in a can and this heat sort of tricks the bacteria into thinking this is a great place to live and set up shop. And then it starts like multiplying and sending out these toxins, although it doesn't know that you're boiling that water to 200 something degrees and the extended amount of time sort of kills off the toxin too, so then you're free to eat it, right? Was sort that a of? question or a statement? <laughs> well, that's my understanding of <laughs> okay. it. Okay. So 
That sounded mostly right. Okay. Okay, so what makes a spore germinate? Because you're worried about the spores getting into the things that you've canned and then germinating. Okay? Right, and turning and a, into a toxin. Yeah, and a lot of the conditions that you would can with are also good conditions that the spores like in order to germinate. So they want little to no oxygen. Mm-hmm. They want a low pH, so right. they, they like some acidity. That's why they always say, like, tomato sauce is one of those big, like... Yes, higher risk. Right. And they like warm temperatures, you know, in the 25 to 37 Celsius range, which Which is is... hot. Mm, Now, interpret that from Australian to American. What did you say? 25? 25 to 37 Celsius. Uh, It's like uh, 80s to 90s. Okay. You're going to heat it up probably hotter than that. Definitely hotter than that. They like warm temperatures. That's just their favorite. But, you know, they like a good tropical environment. Sure, who doesn't? Okay, so then the bacteria goes into its life cycle from spore to bacteria to toxin. Okay, so how do you get these spores out of the food, right? Because there's spores everywhere. I mean, it sounds kind of impossible. Like if you just get a carrot out of the ground, it's going to be covered in botulism spores. (laughs) Disgusting. I don't know what garden you're in. (laughs) Um, But that's why you're using a pressure cooker. Um, And the exact amount of time and the amount of heat and everything that Or a water bath. There was like a study I read, um, I think from ugh, some university. I don't remember which one, but they did a they did a comparison between pressure cookers and water baths, and found really no difference. Um, that a hot pressure, water baths, yeah, hot water bath. Like a pressure cooker is better, obviously, but a water bath for a sufficient amount of time is also pretty good. Right. I think you just need a certain amount of heat in a certain amount of time, right. and a pressure cooker lets you achieve that a lot more faster. quickly. Yeah. And the other factor is how acidic is the food right. that you're trying to prepare, and also what is your altitude. So there's a lot of different factors, and that's why whatever you're making or canning at home, that's why you just got to kind of look it yeah, up. Yeah, that's right. And altitude find out. For yeah. Boiling water, sure. And that's why we have food scientists like Lynn McLansborough from the University of Massachusetts. She's a professor in the Department of Food Science, and she's going to explain to us now how hot and how long before it's considered adequate. So foods have to be heated for long enough to show that you have a 12-log reduction of Clostridium botulinum spores. And to achieve that, you have to heat it in a pressure cooker, a retort, is what they're called commercially. So you retort the food so that you would get a theoretical 12 log reduction of your Clostridium botulinum spores, which is 99.9999999999% reduction. Yes, I've decided that we should always have a doctor friend in our life, a lawyer friend in our life, and a food scientist friend in our life. <laughs> That's it? That's all you need? That's all you need. I could see you uh, being a food scientist. I think it's so cool. Yeah. Super interesting. Because it's science. And it's food. And it's food. Okay. When my mom would take me to the store... Mm-hmm. And we'd buy food. Mm-hmm. She would always say, don't buy the dented cans. Dented cans are bad. They can kill you. So did you ask the food scientist if a dented can can kill you? And if it can, why? I did. You ever notice when you open a can, you hear a whoosh of air going in? So a vacuum forms. So if there's a dent in the can and now you're cooling in water, what if some water gets sucked into the can? And what if they're viable spores of clostridium botulinum there. If there's spoilage within the can, you could see some bloating of the cans. 
So sometimes you'll see a lid of a can that's kind of poofed up. So all these things are indications that there could be spoilage in the can. So basically she's saying that there's only enough room in the can for what the manufacturer wanted in the can. Any dent, puncture, or expansion of that can means there's something else other, some other thing that got into that can that is not supposed to be there. Well, I think with the dent, that is not necessarily true. Like if you take a a perfectly good can of food that's got no botulism in it and you just throw it on the floor, it's probably going to dent. But that doesn't mean that it has botulism Oh, right. It. it would need a hole. Yeah. Right. But the dent is signifying that there's been some trauma to the can, so there could be a hole. Right. And there could be bacteria in there. Right. And that bacteria now may have replicated and produced some So botulism. just grab another can. Exactly. Don't get the dented one. Exactly. Grab and another the bulging one. can is that there's bacteria in there, and as part of their dividing and nicing to live there, they're also giving us some gases, which is expanding that thing. That's when that, yeah, that's when it starts getting all puffy. Yeah. That's why... When you're canning, they tell you to put the lid, right? It comes to, there's two parts of the lid. Mm-hmm. They tell you to put the lid on, you put it in the water bath, you wait till it heats up, and then the vacuum seal happens, right? The little indent pops in. <laughs> then you take it out of the water bath, you wait till, well, actually, you wait till it cools, and that's when the vacuum happens. But then when it's all cooled, you take off the first part of the lid and you store the can away. So if it starts to expand, that first part of the lid will pop off. And then if you walk into your pantry and the lids have popped off, you know that had botulism in it. Oh, so you mean, so there's like the the piece that you put on the top and then there's the circular part that that you you screw screw on over the the actual lid. So you you do that for the water bath. Right. They're both on for the water bath, but after it cools, you remove the the circular circular, part that screws on. Right. Okay. So it's just the top. Just the top part. And it's on there pretty good. It's because sealed suction, on. Because yeah. right? Okay. And then over time, if something bad is in there, it'll pop off the food. And then you know, like, that's a bad one. Right. Which is probably easier to see than having a little bit of pressure, but but just the screw top is holding right. it down. Exactly. So botulism gets in me and starts paralyzing me. And then you said it goes away after time. So what do you do for somebody with Botul- I guess you just have to wait it out? Well, yeah. I mean, people probably aren't going to come in and say, I have botulism, yeah, right? right? They're how, gonna... well, how fast does it take to like get botulism? It depends on how much toxin you get. Oh. Right? And how you get it. You know, the theoretical worst one is this inhaled form, the terrorist, that could probably kill you within minutes. Oh, jeez. Wound botulism slowly forming can take weeks and weeks and weeks. And, and Mel, explain what it is that's actually killing you. So what's killing you is what we talked about, is that this toxin is stopping the nerves working. And the nerves that you really need to work are things, for example, like your respiratory muscles. Mm-hmm. If you paralyze your respiratory muscles, you stop breathing. If you stop breathing, you die. Yeah. But people, you know, usually wouldn't come in with some sort of like clear history. Maybe they have a really nasty looking wound and you suspect it a little bit. Um, But, you know, it takes some detective work. So you got to suspect that diagnosis in the first place if you're ever going to get there. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of the things that would maybe tip us off are if they have the things that Mel had described. So they have a little bit of double vision or slurred speech, maybe a little bit of facial asymmetry. Mm. Uh, Certainly, if they're feeling like they're not able to take a deep breath, that's a big concern because then you're worried that this paralysis is starting to affect their diaphragm and maybe they're going to need to be intubated and put on a mechanical ventilator until we were able to treat them. Does that sort of sound like a stroke? In some ways. 
strokes usually affect a, a very specific territory, like mm-hmm. one side of the face or one side of the body. And this is probably going to be both sides. Okay. Okay. Um, but you know, you may see more effects on one side more so than the other at any given point in okay. time. So, uh, but yeah, that could be definitely confusing early on. Hmm. So what Jess was talking about is uh, there are three keys to the treatment of botulism. One is supportive care. And what that means is Jess has to breathe for you and look after your blood pressure. And so she's supporting your normal functions that you would do. The second thing is to get rid of the source. So if you're an IV drug user, for example, and you've got an infected wound that has botulism, we need to take that to the operating room. We need to clean it up and get rid of all that Mm. stuff because it's making more botulism all the time. And then the third one is the antitoxin. Tell us about that, Jess. Okay, so most ERs don't have this laying around. (laughs) Actually, this is so rare that if you think someone has botulism and uh, botulinum toxin, you call up the poison control center or the CDC and you say, I'm suspicious this patient has botulinum toxin. I want the antitoxin. And so they send it to you really fast by courier. Yes. Yeah. They bring it to you really fast and then you administer the antitoxin. And unfortunately, it doesn't just like fix it, like reverse it immediately like you think it would and hope it would. And it's probably doesn't improve survival in the end, but it does do some good. For patients who receive the antitoxin, they generally don't need to be intubated on a ventilator for as long as other Mm. patients, and they can usually make it out of the hospital sooner than compared to patients who did not get the antitoxin. So really it just comes down to just waiting until your body can clear it. Right. And so this antitoxin basically sops up the toxin that's still around and still doing bad things, but it can't reverse the damage it's already done. Mm. You just have to grow new end plates. Okay. Yeah, so it might be a while that you're in an intensive care unit on a ventilator until all of that heals a few months later. Jeez. Bring it home, Mel. Give us a summary. So here's the summary. Uh, Clostridium botulinum is a bacterium that is in lots of places and uh, soil and all over the place, and most of the time uh, we don't worry about it. It can form spores Uh, these sort of cocoons so that it can live a long time. If you ingest those, you can get uh, botulism. If you inject those, you can get botulism. Sometimes if you eat them, you can get botulism. And botulinum bacteria, as they divide, produce a toxin. And it's that toxin that's the problem. And that toxin stops your nerves being able to talk to your muscles. And if your muscles can't work, then things like not being able to breathe is a problem. And so uh, you've got to make sure you prepare food well. You've got to make sure that you don't give some certain foods to certain people, like don't give kids honey. And you've got to not inject drugs because drugs are bad. Just another reason not to inject (laughs) drugs. Got a lot of reasons. But under controlled circumstances, this very powerful toxin, which can stop muscles working, has a lot of medical uses. The most frequent use is to make you look pretty. <laughs> and if you're going to use it for that purpose, you should probably go to someone who has an active medical license and they're not suspended. <laughs> Don't do it at your friend's house. Thanks to Dr. Lynn McLansborough, Dr. Jess Mason, Dave Mason, and I'm Mel Herbert. This Won't Hurt a Bit is a production of Foolibu Incorporated, produced by CeCe Herbert and Bill Connor. The information you hear on This Won't Hurt a Bit should not be taken as actual medical advice. If you have actual medical questions about actual medical things, you should see an actual medical practitioner. Even though we are actually doctors, we're not your actual doctor. So be sensible and keep it real. And this, oh this. 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 This.
poisoning and comes into the ER, will their wrinkles go away in their face? By the time it makes all your wrinkles go away, you're already dead. Okay. It's too late. (laughs) But good thought. Okay. (laughs) You'll die a beautiful death. (laughs) Oh, he's dead, but he looks so smooth. He looks great. (laughs) This guy looks great. (laughs) 